Hello, welcome to the Bossit Podcast with Mark Edwards and Michael Humblett. This podcast is released every week and is an over-the-shoulder look of a frank and candid discussion between two experienced software executives, providing you with useful tips, techniques, and the latest concepts to help you grow your software business in the fast-paced digital age. So let's get into it. Here is Mark Edwards and Michael Humblett. This is the Bossit podcast, but it's with a difference. This time, you actually get to see us. I can actually see Mark in yes. your eyes, and I'm getting really scared. <laughs> <laughs> this is not some special effect. He's there. He's I'm right in front there, of me. So you all know now know that Mark is not a virtual AI kind of entity, but he's real. In, can I say native English? Something. I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit worrying. <laughs> Uh, no, and I've had to travel to Belgium to meet with uh, Michael here, but there was a, a reason behind it. Absolutely. What was your event called yesterday? So I, I uh, organized an event, and I've called it the very uh, original name called the Mega Secret Humble Sales Club. What was it called again? The Mega Secret Humble Sales Club. I can keep saying it. <laughs> and it's, it's such a crazy word, and I keep asking people, how should I name it differently? And everybody keeps saying, no, no. It kind of sticks, but it's just really bad for marketing, right? That's crazy. <laughs> so the idea was very simple. The idea is... I, I told you you shouldn't call it that. No, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mark. So, but uh, yeah, anyway. So the idea is a very simple one. Yep. I invite people, uh, founders, uh, executives, CEOs, that kind of level, all of scale-ups that are in the same phase, all yeah. like-minded, all having the same problems, and I want them to talk to each other. So in essence, I'm actually having let's say 30 to 40 people, it was about 35 people in the room, Mm. get them together, let's talk, and I invite speakers, and the speakers go really deep. So traditionally, when you go to an event, it's always like fluffy in their selling. Yeah, superficial. And in that, go deep, ask the tough questions, because it's a tough crowd. What do you mean by a scale-up? Because I was quite surprised yesterday. I was expecting more people who perhaps were pre-revenue or just started... You had a bit more of a mixture than that. So it'd perhaps yeah. be a good idea if you define what you mean so, by scale up. So for me, let's say um, it's it's so they had an idea, they've hired a team, they are more than ten people, let's say it like that, in average, and most of them got needed investment about a million, a million and a half. Some call that a seed round, some an A round. We can debate endlessly. Yeah. But let's say they have market traction, they have above 15 customers, and you feel they're at the, at the verge of hiring lots of more people, either needing more money, they need to scale, they need to fix the marketing piece, all, all of these components, and they're really going for the next flow. So they, they're coming up against the sort of the real-world business problems yes. that you're not getting when you're just in the, yeah. I'm dreaming up a business and stage. you know what the magic is? It's always the same, you know, that founders have been selling themselves and they start realizing they can't keep doing yeah. it. So at a certain yeah. stage, they need to get the right people in place that they trust so they can scale the business. And that's a very magical moment because up to 10, 15 people, you can still do it yourself, right? Yeah. Once yeah. you go above, it's not going to work anymore. So they yeah. have to let go. They have to trust. That phase is the real scale phase. Where they've probably got to the stage where they've decided they're not going to grow more by just working longer hours or even harder no, because the, they're probably going full but, out. But you've seen the crowd. They're all looking tired. 
They yeah. were looking tired. That's true. Their energy is, I mean, it's pretty high because by nature they are like that. Some but they all feel like it's yeah. cracking. I need to do something. So I put them together and said, the something, some of you have done it, others haven't done it. Talk to each other. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I, but I, there, was, there was passion. Yeah. yeah. The people I was speaking to afterwards, Only passion. very Only passion. passionate yeah. about their business. Um, guys, intelligent guys working hard as well. Absolutely. I found, Absolutely. It, I found it was a really and, and good then, event. And then we added some, I mean, this community, and then we added some, of course, a fun element. We went VR shooting. Yes. Let's talk all about that. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Mark liked it, shooting <laughs> aliens and zombies and all that <laughs> stuff. And I saw him running. Yes, my dear friends of the podcast, I filmed it. I taped him, so we'll have Mark <laughs> dancing. We'll do something funny with that later on, Mark. It, it, it was crazy because I presented last, so my mind was a little bit... You're still buzzing a bit from the presentation. So I came from the presentation. I had people talking to me, asking questions. And I really get into that. And then within a couple of minutes, I was in a, 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 this virtual reality world. And what really hit me was how immersive it was. Yeah, yeah, it's really immersive. You're there. Within a few minutes, I was stepping over these virtual objects that weren't there. And, they had and I was walking to the edge and being afraid, thinking, I'm going to fall in the water here. Hang on, hang on a minute. This is a virtual world. And what I saw from the outside is you guys were five, and you were all huddled together on this rafting moving, That's right, and yeah. you were like screaming and yeah. jumping up and down. And I wasn't screaming. No. <laughs> I agree, Mark. I think I screamed more than you. But, <laughs> but it worked really well. And you feel the power. It's not perfect yet, but add a few years, and we're going to get to some really, it, really intriguing stuff. Well, it, it really interesting, because I had a chat with the guy that, that runs that, that operation, and um, I know that you know him very well, and, yep. and I could hear there was some advice that yep. come through him because I think what he'd done is he'd taken the technology and he'd moved forward. He didn't wait for it to be perfect. No. It was good enough. I enjoyed that. If yep. somebody said to me, you've got the opportunity to go back, I'd go back. I could see, especially in the other game, that there were some technology issues, but it was good enough. Yep. And he's, he's getting feedback, and he was getting really good feedback as to how he should develop it, yep. which... You know, it brings us back to something that we've discussed before. The, the one problem he has is we had a bunch, 35 people, all in software. Yeah, all, software all, all of them giving their opinion yeah, about software. Imagine. And we're like, the guy was looking at me and like, I don't know if this is such a good idea. <laughs> 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 yeah. But, it's, but it, it's, that, it's that thing about moving from being a startup to a scale-up. You know, we're both advocates of keep it simple, Get it done, move speed, forward. Speed, speed moving on. Because and you don't know what's going to work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because it's all theory, isn't it? Until your customers start to experience it, you don't know. You're making your best guesstimate. Yeah. And that's the problem. I see a lot of them. I've, I've come across, just recently, when I was talking to you in the car when we were driving here, we've come across a number of software entrepreneurs that have been working on their business for several years. Mm -hmm. No customer's seen it. They yeah. haven't sold a penny, yeah. and they're still working in theory, where Which, I would have preferred them to go out and start selling it before their product was finished. I, I think you told me that biggest unicorns, the biggest software companies, always start the other way around. Yeah. They try and sell like a very small MVP, get it out, and then perfect it as we go along. Yeah. The, the, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, there's, the, uh, I, you, there's not complete uniformity across these unicorns, but there are common denominators that you mm. see time and time again. And when you keep looking at them, you say, hang on a minute, I've seen this, and that is one of them, is that they're moving really quickly. Mm. They know the importance of getting real-world customer feedback. Yeah. 
And, and one of the things I want to say to the people listening, a lot of these companies from the outside, they look perfect. They look shiny and nice sites and all that stuff. But I mean, a lot of these companies in the internal, I can tell you, it's it's a tsunami and things break and it's it's one big mess while you go. It's very chaotic. Yeah. And it's, it gives also a lot of energy because I like yes. to move around this place because the speed is high. But don't don't be afraid because if you internally it looks like a mess, it's actually normal. Absolutely. Because the moment it's too yeah. much structured, you're already yeah. past that phase, right? So yeah, yeah. you want it to You be must have been listening chaotic. to my presentation yesterday. I kind of pretended at least for five minutes. <laughs> but exactly the same point that I was yeah. making is that it's is exactly right that there will be aspects of that business that's probably in total chaos. Yeah. And I think one of the mistakes that you can make as a software entrepreneur is get too focused on the bit that's not working. You've got to be able to make a decision. Yeah. And in fact, one of the engagement steps that we have is we get our clients to really think hard and long about focus. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this part of your business isn't isn't perfect, is a bit of a problem. How big an effect will that have overall as to where you're going? Can you move forward? Yeah. Is there another area of your business? What are the three main areas that you need to focus on? Is that one of them? If it is, then you need to get that sorted damn quick. Yeah. But if not, move on. And sometimes that gets sorted on its own. Sometimes time yeah. just solves it. Yeah. But it's making that decision as to where do I need to be focusing my time. Yeah, and removing pressure. Sometimes I also think it's good to say, no, I'm not going to go there, leave it, and actually it sorts out itself. You Lots don't of these things. Yeah, you don't have to solve every single no. little problem that you, you see within the business. You must have had it in sales when you were selling at a certain stage. I have this regularly still. It's like you're pushing and pushing and pushing, and, and, and at a certain stage you get to the lake of, uh, not rejection, but depression, where you think, yeah, nobody's... Nobody wants this. And then you think, what am I doing wrong? And then the day after, suddenly, five people say, call oh. you and say, out of nowhere, hey, let's do this. And I, what, what, hang on, why couldn't this happen like two months? It's so weird. And I believe you have to, it's like a, a varnish, how do you call it? Like you put layers, 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 layers. Statistically, like, like, you will win eventually. You just well, have to keep going. I'll tell, tell, tell you a little secret. I don't think I've ever told anyone this before, actually. Here's a revelation. When I first started in sales, and I was doing a pure sales role, I was—I uh, used to read a lot of Victor Kayam. I don't you remember. Don't Victor Kayam was an American. He must be really old. Very, he is. He is he's <laughs> dead now, actually. He's that old. He's dead. He's yeah. very old. Actually, I hope he's dead, because if otherwise, it's not a bit unkind. But I think he's dead. Um, and he wrote a number of books. Um, and he was quite famous here in the, U- in the UK because he was on an advert where he was saying... I love the company so much. I think it was a razor. He said, I love the company so much when I use it. I bought it. But one of the sales things that he used to say was that you need to look at the this thing about rejection. And I think that's tough for a lot of salespeople. You'd have seen that. You can get into that sea of depression because you're going to get a lot of rejection as a salesperson. But he said, there's another way to look at it is you can work out statistically to get one sale, how many rejects do you need to get? And then you need to be able to, then you can, what you can do is, Just you know, if you could actually put a figure on every rejection. So if you yeah. know you need it's 10 like rejections, yeah. if you need 10 rejections and your one sale is worth 100,000. Technically, you need nine for one dealer. Yeah. So if it's, <laughs> so if it's nine for one, you're, send, you're selling a sort of software solution, it's 100,000. Each rejection's worth 10,000. And I used to sit when I used really? to work for Avery, and I used to sit there, and I had worked out that every rejection was worth so much. And I used to tick it off, and I used to think, that's another one. So you would, that's so another so one. So they would say no, and you would go, bang, yeah, yeah another one. <laughs> then get it in the virtual bank. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, 
in the virtual bank. Yeah, they didn't have virtual yeah. banks yeah. in those days. It's the dopamine factor. A lot of sales. Mm. One of the issues that you see, and, and we talked about it, actually, if you think about it, it's funny. I see a lot of really, you know, you have closers and non-closers. And mm. what's the difference? It's very simple. The non-closers are happy with the first and the second meeting, and they get the dopamines, and they're happy and say, I'm doing a good job. I'm having all these meetings. Oh. But they never pull it to the end. Yeah. The real closer is the guy or girl that gets a dopamine effect when he gets the signed contract. That's and it's point. very rare. Actually, yeah. very rare you see that. Yeah. I, They're hard to find. I see. So I've seen ask, that. Where do you get your dopamine? <laughs> yeah. I, you're absolutely right. It's an interesting way I'm looking at it because I see a lot of salespeople. I've managed quite large sales forces in the past salespeople and you can see them coming back from meetings and they are. It's almost like they're on drugs. I had a great meeting. Yeah, yeah. But how many meetings you had? Well, that's the third great meeting I've yeah. had with that prospect. And they just have lots and lots of great meetings. Yeah, and on average, you need large deals, twelve meetings, and there are statistics around that. So yeah, it's crazy. But know. if they're getting their fix out of the meetings, yeah, and not, not the close. No, I agree. It, it, they go around in circles. Talking about that, maybe we should have a chat about. Is there ways of speeding up? Is there ways of within the sales presentation? So, you know, once you do the sales presentation to the close deal, isn't there a way to to make it stronger, to, to be sure that your sales guys, your team actually do it? Because it's one of the problems I keep keep getting back at is people say, I, I'm the founder, I'm doing a really good job, and then I go to my sales guys and my sales team, and they use other slides, they don't follow the narrative they and then they never get somewhere but when i come into the meeting i close the like on an instant so yeah but um, so share your wisdom <laughs> <laughs> we've discussed this one before in the currently this is uh, it's a different proposition isn't it mm. it's absolutely true and i've seen that many times where the ceo can go in and close that deal yep. they will have an easier sales journey than a salesman because yep. they've got a different title yeah it's salesman and he's the CEO. So selling, as you know, is about trust. Are you going to trust a salesman more than you are the CEO of the company? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, no. So exactly. immediately, you see, the, the, the problem with that is if the CEO of the company that you're talking to believes that he's doing it because he's a better salesman, mm. he could probably close that sale with very bad sales technique because he's going to get a greater level of trust because of who he is. True. So I'm I'm the end user. I'm the person looking to buy. I've got the CEO of the company. I've got the founder in front of me. Yeah, I feel more confident. He's crap at selling, mm-hmm. but I've got him. I've yeah. got him here. Any issues, I'm going to come straight back to him. So this morning we met uh, Tom. Mm. Um, Very interesting. Yeah, maybe you want to check because... Because I know Tom for a long while. Well, no, you, you know, give, give, give the background because you, so, you so, know, you've known him longer. I mean, we could still be there talking now. Yeah, so Tom, Tom built <laughs> a company, and one of the things they do is um, he's trying to solve what we've just been discussing, making mm. sure that all your sales, that everybody in the sales team uses the same story. But on top, he, he does something really intriguing to speed up the sales process. It's a software he's selling. One of the elements is... I wrote it down, cooperative offer building. So while you're at the customer, so he lets you feel the pain in a very visual way, like with graphs and all of that. And then actually he starts building the offer together with you live on the spot. And then with one click of the button, he can send you the stuff. I'm just wondering, because you saw it now, what what was your opinion? What do you think? I I think it's the future of selling. (laughs) Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Really? I mean. And I think as a sales, there is no escape. 
you have no. to use the tool, otherwise you can't make a quote. Yeah. That's I, the intriguing part. I, I think um, well, it's interesting from a number, number of respects is he's providing uh, a certain level of service to help the client to use a great tool. He's created a great tool, mm-hmm. but like any tool, it can be misused. So you put that in the hands, and it's like you know, giving me a hammer and a chisel and expecting me to come up with a you know a great table or something, mm-hmm. an inlaid table. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I've got the right tool, but I haven't got the skills. Um, they've they've produced a tool there that I think could revolutionise the way that sales made, mm-hmm. especially with complex sales. Yeah, because it can take your customer through the engagement steps that they need to go on. They need to go on a journey with you. Mm-hmm. Let's make, maybe make it a bit tangible more. Yeah. Because otherwise, I mean, we've seen it. Yeah. People listening to this, I think, how would what, you, what how are would these you, guys? How would you pitch what they offer? How would you No, 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 I wouldn't, I wouldn't position it. I, w- I just want to explain a bit the concept because I want the people listening, maybe they can apply some of these techniques. So one of the tricks they, they do, for instance, is you they have a, a PowerPoint. I mean, it's a software laying on top of yeah. that. So yeah. Basically, you use a, a presentation technique and what they then do is, for instance, let's imagine the case of, let's go with coffee, for instance. Yep. Let's take coffee. Yeah. So you're trying to sell coffee. You're a premium brand. You know your coffee is five times more expensive than the coffee of your competitor. So you come into a B2B environment, large corporate. You want to sell them coffee machines, coffee, all that kind of stuff, right? It's an easy, it's an easy example. Yeah. So what they do, the first thing is they first try to explain that the impact of bad versus good coffee the quality moment of people spending time on the machine. Yeah. And then they actually make a breakdown of how much time that is, and they make it very visual so that you see that, you, I mean, you and I never thought about that properly, that it is much more impactful. True. So that's number one, yeah. visually. Yeah. And they ask a lot of questions. While they ask the questions, they kind of fill some numbers in live on the screen, and you immediately see dynamically stuff moving and changing. And even if you would fight it, even if you would take really low numbers, it still would be a very realistic impact view. So when I always say, take a problem, deepen it, that's exactly what they do live. Yeah. And it's very strong. And then the next step, of course, is you need to explain what it does, and then you need to do the offer. And then a few very intriguing stuff happens. While they're doing the offer, they actually don't say, this is how much they're going to cost, because any price needs a context. It's context that makes you want to pay more or less. Right, that's what a lot of people do wrong. They say, this is my product, it's going to cost you 10K. And it's like, I have no idea what this 10K is. Right? So what they then do is they say, okay, for instance, let's take the coffee example. How many coffees are you drinking currently? Ah, a thousand, for instance. So they type in a thousand. How many types of coffees are you drinking? Ah, two, three. And they kind of break it down. And immediately you would see the impact of drinking good quality coffee on those numbers. And you immediately feel like you see two amounts. You see, like, I'm just saying something here, 100K impact, and my product is only, cost only 30K. So you make the difference in your mind, and you're already almost sold. Yeah, it's it's an ROI tool as well. Yeah. What's the return on your investment? Yeah. But you know the danger with ROI tools? Yeah. Don't overdo it. Yeah. It's it's a... um, When you get down into the detail, and that's where we've just been in our Mm -hmm. conversation previously... There's a lot of detail there, and it's and it's a really big issue. I suppose what we're trying to do now is we're trying to simplify, so explain to what I'd normally say is listeners, but it's people who are watching us now it's on this podcast. Scary. Yeah, what it is, what it is that this company is offering, 
And I think if you address it from what's the problem, mm-hmm. at the top level the problem is, especially for larger organisations, is you're going to have a team of salespeople that are going out typically with PowerPoint presentations that may have originally been creative, created with a story, with a narrative, and beautifully designed. And then the salesman gets hold of it and they decide, ah, but this customer's different and I've got to add in this slide and then I'm going to add this and I'm going to add more and more text and I'm going to add points in. A lot of salespeople use PowerPoint or their presentations as a prop Mm -hmm. and now you haven't got uniformity. So you've got an issue of salespeople going out with their own version of what Tom the company presentation Tom had a word for them. He said, yeah, you always, 10 people, 10, when I do this presentation, I show it to 10 people, there's always one, always saying, no, 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 I can do my own slides. And always, you know, they're bad in slides, actually, they're hiding. He said, those are the yeah. hiders. Those yes. are the ones you need to really be careful well, sitting with. in the office, yeah. designing presentations, yeah. instead of out with the salespeople. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So a good presentation... Because they don't do the process. They yeah. do the slides and think, yeah, no, no, I got a good story and, and it's the customer's problem. No. I mean, believe me, I have been frustrated for many years with this issue. Uh, I mean, first of all, I think a really good presentation is just, I talk about it in terms of it's a canvas. Mm -hmm. It's a canvas. It shouldn't be so detailed so it doesn't work for all of your customers. If you're having to adapt it for each customer, that's a sign that you've gone too far down our iceberg model, what we talk about. Too much detail. You're there to talk and communicate. Mm -hmm. you if if you were providing all of the information on that power, on that presentation, doesn't have to be PowerPoint. Why go? Just put, email them, read that, or send them a Word document. Mm-hmm. Read it. Mm. That is, it's 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 a very visual way of backing up what you're saying. Yeah. And if you do it right with the right visuals and the right consistent key messages, there really shouldn't be that much need for words. And there shouldn't be a need for adapting it every time. So that's a really big problem. There's a big issue. Is if you've got salespeople, keep adapting it. And you don't want salespeople creating the visuals. Because yeah. that's not their skill. Yeah. You know? By the way, for uh, smaller companies, they always ask me so. Because they, that the first thing I do, I look at these sales presentations. First thing I do. And I said, let's make sure it's one for sure. And then I want the sales to stick to the slides in the beginning. Because if it works, then you have proper skill. If it doesn't work, you need to rework the pitch and the, until you get it perfect. That's that's and of course over time these things change because you get new products, new value props, and markets change. But at least get consistency. But you know, I see it, I see it as a, a canvas upon which you are selling. So marketing create the frame, the canvas, and then a customer. If you get it right, they will start to visualize their tailored solution. Mm-hmm. The, the problems and the issues that they have, if you create it correctly and you don't prescribe it too, in too much detail, they start to see themselves. They mm-hmm. start to see themselves with that solution. Mm-hmm. When you start getting into too much detail, which salespeople, and especially in the software s- sector, they tend to do. So they've got all of this information in their head and they want to get it out. Stop mm-hmm. doing that. You need to keep it so that the customer understands what it is that they're selling and then they can imagine themselves in that situation. I get a good question for you because they ask me that question every single time. So, Michael, it's all fun and games, your sales narrative, sales pitch. But (laughs) I'd say stop. No, no, yeah. It's right at the core of your business. I I lift my eyebrow, watch them, (laughs) brace myself, 
thinking I'm the alpha here. No, no. Uh, <laughs> and said, then they say, excuse me, let me, so, let me explain something. Yeah. Poking eye. <laughs> <No. laughs> so, so, hang on. So, then they say, Get yeah, real. a good sales guy, yeah. two questions, Mark, hang on, hold your horse. <laughs> a good sales guy doesn't need a presentation. That's one big topic. Let's We can go there. Uh, Second okay, yeah, one yeah. is a good one. Is, yeah. But shouldn't they do the, I call it like the Aristocrates or Aristoteles, I forget the name, one of the two was it, ask questions and questions and questions. Socrates. Socrates. So, how many questions should you ask? Let me just, oh, because they always want the tangible, give me a number. How How many many questions questions should you you ask? ask? (laughs) I have a number. I have a number. Oh, you do? You need guidance. I can give guidance. You want guidance, I'm going to give it to you. It's three. No more than three questions. That would be a dream scenario. Why? Because I like the number. And two, I've seen if you ask more questions, you are the expert. You come to me and you keep asking questions. I get nervous after a while. I'm like, dude, I'm sitting here on this table. I've invited you in my precious time. I want you to talk. I have that very. I have that personally very quickly, okay. and I've seen that. So you need to right. frame some questions. Okay, I've got but it. the other problem yep. that I see some sales guys is they let the customer talk for twenty minutes about all the little shit. In the, yeah. And, and I'm not in favor of that. I'm in favor of them talking, but you kind of guide them through the. Yeah. Because after twenty minutes, they say, "I don't have time left." So the first question was, um, "Shouldn't a salesman be able to sell without?" The backup exactly. of a presentation. Do they need a presentation? Okay, so first of all, a good salesman, yes, they could sell in a lift. A good salesman could sell to you on the beach. Mm. But could they be better with a great presentation? Of course they could. I think I agree. I wouldn't say even presentation. I would say 70 to 80% of old people are visual. So it's good that I see you and you're talking to me. And now I'm looking in yeah, your yeah. eyes. I'm getting yeah, yeah. really nervous. As yeah. goes along, so I hope this doesn't take yeah. too long. But, but, <laughs> but... I want to have two places to capture your attention. So if I do a story and in the meantime I can make you look to a piece of something, a presentation, Agreed. a paper, yeah. I can guide you right to the conclusion. But you don't want them reading the words that are no. saying, coming out of your a mouth. A visual, That's something crazy. strong, a comparison, yeah. a one impactful image. That's yeah. what I want. So I don't care if it's a presentation or a piece of paper. I don't care. You know, really good sales guys, B2C sales guys, they actually learn to draw. I've learned that from insurance sales guys. They always and they actually learn to draw backside down. Yeah. So and it's really crazy. And they but they always, always draw the triangles. Yeah. And they no triangles. <laughs> they do triangles and they do always. nothing. It's they always, always do things that go up. Yeah. Like <laughs> your money will always go up, whatever happens. Right. Actually, I think there should be a training school for software salespeople. And what you do is you, the first day you just teach them to draw triangles. Yeah. That's all you need. I've yeah. seen it. So we should have a new name Triangle Drawings. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The trial. So your first question was about salespeople shouldn't they be able to sell without a presentation? Yes, but they'll sell better with a yeah. good one. And most of the eighty. So, and, second, and what was your second question? 80% of your revenue always comes from by 20% of the salespeople, which yeah. is another topic for another yeah. podcast. But uh, I think the answer is yes. Make sure you have multiple senses that you use. So I would even give it to the good ones. Yeah, absolutely. Be second sure one was better. questions. Oh, how many questions? How many questions? Too right. many questions? I, would you allow all the questions? Yeah. Or, what, what, what do you do? Okay, I, w- I wouldn't set it at a number, but I understand you saying it's that. It's a guidance because, principle. Yeah, because I think... I think it's different people um, and different situations. Okay, so if, you know, in the M&A world, if, if, I, if I was going in 
I go in. I'm not a salesman. I'm going in as a as a trusted consultant. But you asked two questions them. yesterday, by the way, in your speech. So you also yes. know it's not too much. Yeah, and and it's different circumstances as well. So I'm yeah. talking to a wide audience there, um, and I'm not going to get answers back that are very detailed about personal details to do with M and A. Still, um, one of the questions was, how many partners did you have? I still don't get why you're asking that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> so I said that and I was half asleep. Um, but but on a one-to-one situation, I, I think of it a little bit like, actually, I was writing something this morning to do with this. Uh, I think of it about the steps as examination, diagnosis, prescription. So, um, Yeah, that's actually a nice way of doing it. If 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 I went to a doctor and I said to him, I've got a pain, and he said, take this, I'd go, hang on a minute. <laughs> but You haven't looked at me. So, but How do you on, know? Let, let, me, refine so it, let so me refine it a little bit. Because yeah. you, a lot of sales arrive at customers that don't perceive that they have a pain. So they, it's like you would go to the doctor and the doctor would say, so tell me the problem. So I said, I don't have a problem. Yeah, it's a latent issue. It's, yeah. hi- it's hidden and See? you have to develop that situation with them. Yeah. So you are going to need to ask questions. Yeah. And, and I think questioning is better than just sta- sitting there and just telling them where they've got the problem. They yeah. need to discover themselves. But also, I think you can overdo it with questions where the person just feels that they're being grilled. And that's to do with reading body language as well. Yeah. Certain people will like the analytical approach they like being questioned but they may also get to the stage where they think hang on a minute I've just been hit by question after question after question this is too much it's got to be a natural conversation you need well the answer really is you need um, as few questions as is possible but no fewer how about that for an answer that's an answer yeah. I like the the the, the, the (laughs) natural flow yeah yeah but I I think a lot of sales guys just want to say all the features and say all the stuff yes. they have and they just want to talk yeah. because well, it feels them comf- comfortable and actually you kind of need to get them on you've got to be cons- consultative i think salespeople have got to be they've got to be problem solvers as well haven't they yeah. and they've also got they also need to be qualifying the person in front of them i've spent time to come and see this person should i have done it and do i need yeah. to come and speak to them again yeah are they are they a good fit and, for and me actually sometimes you should say i don't think this is gonna work no let's say look I'm and then and then the magic time. comes and said let me connect you to somebody that does yeah. or that or that and at the end you'll sell to them it's very very it, funny but exactly. you have to be able to do that you've got to be truthful you've got yeah. to be honest you've got to qualify the person and i think if you do that and you do it in a respectful way you will maintain that respect yeah. and they might re- refer you on exactly as you said never ever 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 say I'm really sorry but I really need this deal to make my quota or my oh, number man God. I've had people say that to me I know that's why I'm saying something yeah. deep in your eyes and I see yes. the frustration and I'm like sorry but it's not going to work like that yeah I, these t- typically very junior well. by the way very junior profiles yeah. do this kind of stuff so if you as a manager push them really really hard that's something that could happen yeah. so you have to be really careful there yeah, I, I think a lot of people that are managing salespeople actually should do the opposite. They believe you've got to go and whip salespeople to get the best from them. Mm-hmm. No, you've got to go and remove some of their problems. You've got to get off your ass and really do some work yourself. And you've got to help these salespeople because salespeople don't come to work every day to fail. They want to hit their targets. Although we just said 
rejection. <laughs> Ching, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's a, in that respect. But that, but that was that was a uh, a mini goal to reach the main objective, yeah. wasn't it? That was to get to the main the main goal. But it worked for me because it, it was a way of overcoming rejection. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that, that the managers of salespeople need to be really cognizant of is the fact that if you're out there and they may be not be taking that rejection day after day, yeah. it could be tough. You need to help them. You need to help them to overcome right. that. Mark, I have to say one thing. Uh-oh. I think you've been There's watching. There's time's up, actually. I wanted and to uh, say, you've been watching <laughs> way too long in my eyes. <laughs> I'm getting really nervous. I want to get out. Um, can I go home? You can, yeah. <laughs> Time to go. <laughs> so that was the Bossit podcast, but the video version. It's nice to be here in Belgium and um, something a little bit different. Thanks very much, Michael. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> <laughs>